Welcome to Adventures in Business. This is a show where we have thought-provoking conversations with founders, CEOs, and business leaders of various industries to learn about their stumps, falls, trials, tribulations, and successes on how they manage the current business environment. Join our hosts, Mandy Graziano and Amani Roberts, as we chat with our next guest. He produces podcasts. Um, he's a father. He's a husband. Uh, he's really, he used to be really involved with associations. So it's interesting because a lot of our audience are meeting planners and they're in the, you know, in that world. But then the other part of our audience are all entrepreneurs. And he is a serial entrepreneur. He founded Art Scores, which I can't wait to talk more about today. And he founded Social Frequency, um, another one of his companies. So Stuart Meyer, come yes. to the stage. Welcome to the stage. We'll get your applause for you a little later. But welcome, Stuart. Uh, it's glad, glad to have you on Adventures in Business. Um, how are you doing today? Well, it is truly a pleasure to be here. Uh, Mandy Graziano, I want to be my, I always joke, I want to be Mandy when I grow up. And now that I'm hearing a little more about you, Damani, I want to be at some of your holiday parties. So Amani <laughs> is available. If you need a great DJ for your holiday party, contact Amani. There we go. There we go. <laughs> I'm doing great. How are you all doing? We're doing well. We understand that you, you're in the middle or you're just kind of getting adjusted to a really big move. Yes. Tell us maybe about your move, what you would like to share, and like what have you learned so far about yourself from moving from the Midwest down to the Southeast? Oh my gosh! Well, you are West Coaster, so you may not relate to what I'm about. <laughs> Although, man, you, you've got some you've got some roots back back east here. Yeah. Um, but it's the notion of you know when you're growing up in cold places, it's like oh, I want to move to Florida. I want to move to Florida. Well, my wife and I three months ago actually did. Uh, my youngest, we took him off to college. Uh, we became empty nesters. And uh, we relocated to Dunedin, Florida, um, which I'm considering starting a documentary series called Where Is That? Because every time I told people I was moving to Florida, they say, well, where? Dunedin, where is that? <laughs> it's like, yeah, it's, spell, it, spell it for us. Spell that's how we want to keep it. No, it's uh, D-U-N-E-D-I-N. It's right on the coast, uh, just north of Clearwater Beach. So it's been a fantastic experience. Um, less than a month here, we uh, had to deal with Hurricane Ian, our first hurricane. Um, so that was a, a crash course in hurricane preparation. Um, people don't get anywhere near as nervous as CNN and the Weather Channel and everything else up there. Granted, uh, we did get hit pretty hard in South Florida down here. Uh, but there's a guy named Dennis Phillips. And Dennis is like the rock star meteorologist here for the ABC Tampa affiliate. And there's, there's this saying down here, it's rule number seven. It's like, uh, don't freak out until Dennis says so. <laughs> so he literally uh, went, when there's, then there's another tropical uh, storm heading towards the East coast of Florida. But generally when there's anything happening, I don't think he sleeps for weeks and he does all these live Facebook lives. He's got 500,000 followers. So when it's hurricane time, he's the only person you want to listen to. Oh, uh, so interesting. Yes. Yeah. He, and he is, he's really cool. I hope to meet him one day. He actually lives right up the coast from us here. Uh, but uh, yeah, so that was the big thing uh, transitioning down. Um, and uh, so we'll, we'll be much better prepared. Uh, we've got another system's probably going to move its way across the state to us, but it's not going to, shouldn't be that bad on this side. So. Okay. Were there any other cities you were debating moving to besides Dunedin? That's a great question because uh, we, have, you know, my, both my wife and I have worked from home for uh, over a decade. So we knew this day was coming. We, we love the beach. We love water. And we knew we want to live closer to the water. And for many years, uh, we were looking at Wilmington, North Carolina. Um, mm. We actually visited there a number of times. Uh, we looked at real estate down there. Uh, and, you know, that was the place. There was no other question. And friends of ours from our town, uh, Naperville, just outside of Chicago, which is where we're from, um, yeah. They introduced us to Dunedin and brought us down for a visit, and it was all over. I, I didn't even knew I didn't even know this existed in Florida, uh, so I don't like to say it too loudly because we don't want too many people to find us. But it's really this small town of thirty five thousand people right on the coast, um, and uh, we we sit on the bay, which means we don't get the typical beach vacationers. But we have two natural beaches that is our local beach areas. One's called Honeymoon Island, the other calls Caladesi Island, uh, and it's two of the 
uh, they're voted as one of the nicest beaches in the country. Um, but uh, it's the, there's no development on there. You actually have to drive in and, and it's really nice. Interesting. So you're coming from Naperville. I used to live in Glendale Heights. I oh, yeah. It's 35 South to get to Naperville that way. So yep. a little bit about Naperville. So cool. Awesome. Um, Mandy, where should we got so many questions for you, Stuart. Mandy, where shall we begin? <laughs> so you're muted, though. You muted yourself somehow, Mandy. So I'm not sure. Let's check and see. We love our technology here. As <laughs> Mandy comes off mute. Um, maybe. OK, so while Mandy does that, like you're chief storyteller for social frequency media. Explain to us kind of what your role is, because then I have some specific social media questions for you. Absolutely. Well, you know, uh, stories drive our lives. Uh, stories are simulated personal experiences. Our brains are hardwired for stories. And uh, being a composer and a filmmaker, uh, by nature, I'm a storyteller. Um, so social frequency is all about storytelling. And that can take so many different forms. Um, digital storytelling, so, you know, I was, you know, started social frequency in 2009, just the social media was kind of starting to explode. Um, but it's also taking advantage of all the opportunities and ways that we can tell our stories about ourselves, about our brands, uh, about our person, you know, our celebrities, you know, all of that. Um, and, uh, you know, understanding the structure of storytelling and how it drives culture. Uh, I was in a conversation recently and I overheard someone saying it's absolutely true because um, I was in marketing for many, many years. Uh, and uh, they talked about you, marketing doesn't build brands, and I absolutely agree with that. Uh, you know, product services and, and commitment and devotion and obsession build brands, but once that's built, marketing can accelerate uh, and elevate uh, everything that you do with that. So, uh, you know, whether it is marketing or whether it's honestly working with businesses and how they integrate storytelling within their business culture. Uh, in everything that they do, especially as their brand is growing and as they're bringing on new people who weren't there at the beginning, um, it's really a powerful way to to build that culture within the company. Um, and of course, being down here an hour and 40 minutes from Disney World, uh, <laughs> you know, you, we can take a lot of cues from how storytelling is is entrenched in the culture and everything that the Disney brand does, regardless of how you feel about them or their present CEO or everything else that's going on where they're uh, nickel and diming everyone to death these days. But, uh, you know, you, you, it's irrefutable, the power of storytelling and, and what it's done for that brand. Now, Mandy, you're still muted there. So I don't know what's going on with your mute here. So we'll get up now how with, within the stories and Mandy, just kind of talk when you're talking, we'll kind of sound check you at the same time. Um, when you are telling the stories, you do a lot with social media, correct? Yes. Yes. Okay. With the social media environment that is going on now, what do you feel are the platforms we should be paying closest attention to? Well, uh, you know, given given the events of, of Elon Musk's takeover of Twitter, <laughs> there, there's no that's kind of a wild card at this point. Right. Uh, but but the reality is is that understanding who your target demographic audiences are. Uh, and then, you know, finding the platforms where they reside. And I have an 18-year-old and a 21-year-old who continue to educate me uh, about, um, you know, all of the new platforms that they're developing, building. Uh, as they say, Facebook is only for boomers, but there's still a ton of people on Facebook. Um, so a lot of it depends upon where your, who your target audience is, where, where your target audience is. Um, and, you know, being consistent and telling great stories uh, and telling them across channels uh, is is what's really important. And uh, you know, the interesting thing is uh, art scores, which is is my artist project. Um, mm -hmm. You know, th that's a story in itself, and it's it's my attempt to basically uh, tell stories about pieces of art through music. Um, you know, using notes as characters and all of that good stuff. But for many many years, you know, I kind of led a dual life. Um, I grew up, uh, music was the only thing I cared about growing up. I taught myself to play the piano, uh, nice. been composing since I was age 11, uh, you know, dreamt about, you know, a career in music, uh, kind of chickened out at least in the career pursuits because uh, I never learned to read music. I tried to, I hated it. I hated the technical nature of it, the theoretical nature of it. You know, to me, it was all about these passionate stories that are, they're unfolding and, 
Um, you know, it's the pathway that I've stayed on. But uh, over the years, you know, I love film music. I was very interested in composing for film. And uh, for many years, obviously, there weren't many opportunities. I'm from Kentucky originally and mm -hmm. was living in Kentucky and uh, went to the local bookstore. And you know how they have the, the discount bookshelves, I guess, maybe for whatever bookstores are still open where you can get cheap books and they t sell a lot of coffee table books. So there's this book called actually right here. All right. We love a called, good book. Called the yeah, art book. book. Can you hear but me I, when I say it? Yes. Yeah, we, yes, we hear we you now. Yes, I'm back. We do love a book. <laughs> Welcome. Thanks, Stuart, for sharing that. And I'm glad I'm back. Okay. Welcome back, Mandy. So basically, um, I didn't have filmmakers to work with, but I would file through this big art book. And each page, there's there's paintings. And I would thumb right. through and I would find a painting that I really liked. Uh, and then I would sit and compose a little piece of music about it, really just kind of to practice about, you know, trying to at least in, interpret uh, what stories unfolding in that 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 painting, which is, you know, still life is, you know, it's one frame forever, um, mm -hmm. you know, in terms of that. And uh, uh, years later, I ended up moving to Chicago and uh, was able to connect with independent filmmakers and composed for filmmakers for years. They then all moved to Los Angeles. I almost moved to Los Angeles decided not to at the last minute, uh, but, you know, continued my life and career in the association world. And uh, also starting to do documentary films on the, on the back end. Uh, and then also continuing to compose. I mean, I've always been composing, always creating music. Uh, and then in 2009, I decided, um, you know, one thing I needed more than money was time to be able to mm -hmm. do uh, what I wanted to do. I think a lot of entrepreneurs can uh, relate to that. I would say I was probably on the early side of the, the gig work economy, the freelance revolution. Uh, but uh, in 2009, I walked away from my job and started social frequency, media communications. Uh, and really, it was kind of my push to create my dream job, invent my dream job, I guess you could say, to do, you know, spend my days doing creative stuff. Uh, you know, I couldn't always do all creative stuff. I did a lot of consulting work along the way and uh, all of that. But uh had more time to invest in my music, documentary filmmaking. In 2015, I got sidetracked a little bit, but it was a good sidetrack because because of that sidetrack, I met Mandy. Uh, yes. But I uh, got an offer to do a part-time CEO gig for a national organization, a national association. And uh, the organization, I was very interested in their subject matter. Um, and uh, I did that. And unfortunately, though, it was a bit of a detour for three years where I basically, you know, social frequency went somewhat dormant. Uh, mm. And and as happens with CEOs and organizations in three years later, I actually got fired. And the funny part about that was, is we were just getting ready to take our kids to Europe a month after that. And it, you know, kind of came down to that moment is, you know, do we go, do we, you know, it's money's going to be a little bit tight until I get things fired back up with social frequency. Um, I was kind of leaning towards not. And at the end of it, it's like, no, you know, we're going to do it because I've always taught my kids and they'll tell you is that the best investment are investing in memories at all. Mm -hmm. Give you a lifelong return. So mm -hmm. we decided to stay, stay the course and uh, we went to London and then the second half of the trip, we took them to Paris. And uh, we were at the Musée d'Orsay one quiet Sunday morning, if that's even possible to believe in Paris at the Musée d'Orsay. But it was very quiet. And we all kind of ended up separating, going our own different directions and just meandering around. And uh, uh, I was looking uh, at these paintings. And then for some reason, it came back to me when I used to compose these little pieces of music for um, paintings in the art book. And uh, I'm like, well, you know, now being a filmmaker, I, I have editing skills and, uh, you know, I could bring these paintings to life, you know, do motion editing, uh, you know, I could break them into their individual, there's enough depth in the painting into their elements and sort of do motion plane editing, just kind of co cobble them back together, but compose original music. And it was kind of that eureka moment. So I came back home and, and uh, I, I mean, I just started snapping photos uh, of paintings and so paintings from the Musée d'Orsay, I came back and started working with them. And at that time, one of my first projects post the CEO gig was doing a, um, a family documentary for an artist. And uh, we were sitting, chatting, and having coffee at her uh, 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 dining room table uh, one day. And I said, oh, you know what? I just created this. And I wasn't even, I didn't, hadn't come up with art scores yet. 
I said, but I, I created this video that, you know, basically composed original music for this art and then set it in motion. And I showed her and she just flipped out. She thought it was the best thing ever. And I'm like, I'm like, wow, th- you know, there might be something to that. And, and this was 2018 and I went on a tear. So four years later, um, I came up with the, the brand art scores. Uh, I started a, a YouTube channel. I started a Facebook group. And uh, just last week or two weeks ago, I released Art Score number 92. Um, and, you know, I'm continuing to produce art scores and I've developed a community of I have about 2,400 fans on my Art Scores by Stuart Meyer Facebook group, which I think the, uh, the, uh, the information is in the, uh, the scroll bar uh, for the show. So mm-hmm. with that, in addition to all of the other stuff that I'm doing in, you know, the notion of we wanted to, to downsize after uh, uh, our youngest left, uh, now where I find myself and uh, I took advantage of my connection to Mandy. She's been doing some business coaching with me. Um, and by the way, her sales tells book, if you have not gotten a yes. copy of it, have not read it, I know you came up on your one year anniversary. It's a fantastic book. Thank um, you. I, the reason I say I want to be when I grow up, because that's my missing piece. Uh, you know, I'm an introvert by nature. Uh, I'm not good in the hustle. I'm good at hustling for other people, but terrible at hustling for myself. So right now um, I'm at that point in figuring out how can I make art scores uh, a business. And it's interesting because the immersive arts movement is going crazy right now. I mean, we've all yeah. seen the immersive Van Gogh exhibits and all of that. And um, I, I did actually connect with the founder of the original immersive Van Gogh. Um, it came out of Italy. Uh, but basically looking at art scores and, um, you know, right now I'm, I'm still a bit paralyzed of all the different directions it could go, um, paralyzed by, you know, I only have so much time, you know, and energy to devote towards things. Um, Mm -hmm. you know, the, 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 the fire is, uh, uh, blazing as strong as ever. I'm composing like crazy. Um, and I do my own digital artwork too, um, which I have a series called scenes of life, uh, which is a series of my own, uh, photography-based digital artwork. I have a, um, a, a process by which uh, I, I digitally paint my photos to make them look a little bit more like painting. As a matter of fact, right there. Oh, there you go. There's one right there. It's so beautiful. Um, Stuart, I have a, I have a funnel-in question about art source. Can you guys yes. hear me? Okay? Yes, yes, we can. So, Better than ever. You just mentioned that immersive you know, the Van Gogh experience and that immersive experience, I think, and you, you know, because you were in the association space for so long, right now, especially planners are looking for these unique curated experiences. Like mm-hmm. I just had a client recently connect with a local art dealer and during their cocktail reception, they're having all these different art um, pieces of artwork up that people can buy And a portion of that goes to charity. And so it's not just about the drinking or the eating. It's about like that experience because then it's like, oh, I bought this piece of art and they're affordable, right? I bought this piece of art and then you're talking about it. So this immersive art experience is really is creeping into the events and meetings world more and more. So, and I, when I see your stuff and I'm so quick story about art scores. When I had COVID in December, the first night you have it, like that night where the, you break the fever and you get really tired, uh, you had just launched, I think you had just launched your Art Scores Light or Art Scores Dark. Mm-hmm. No, my two albums. Yeah, yeah I have three albums, albums on uh, all the platforms. And I I, list, I just p- put that on and I closed my eyes and I listened. It was the soundest, most beautiful sleep. Now you're supposed to watch it and which is what I've done, but the, the music, the composition of that music is beautiful. And I feel like in the event and conference space right now, there is a space for art scores, right? It's it's a, it's an opening reception model, or if it's on the stage, it's you live, or it's you composing something live for the company. So have you thought about where art scores sits in the conference convention meeting space based on your old association hat, or, um, or, or can you riff on where you think it might fit? Definitely. I mean, I think creatively, you know, there's so many directions and in terms of putting together a unique experience that, uh, you know, transcends the typical cocktail reception and appetizers and, and drinks. Um, you know, I've done keynote presentations for state societies of association executives, um, you know, perhaps something that is, is performance-based, immersive, uh, but then at the same time, perhaps there's a, 
uh, a creativity element, uh, you know, because I, I believe everyone's creative. Uh, it's, it's about how you tap into it. How do you how do you create a creative process? Why, uh, whether it's personally, whether it's for the organization, and um, to, you know, I think understanding the structure of story is something we can all incorporate into our daily basis. And you know, using art scores as an example of of storytelling, and you know, there's stories behind every work of art. And you know, one of the things that I'm I'm uh, sort of cultivating right now is the idea of doing an art scores podcast that basically is an, an anatomy of each composition um, to really break break each composition down by its individual parts and talking about how I'm trying to paint pictures with these notes. And then literally me sitting at my keyboard, which is right next to me, mm -hmm. um, and then playing that section to show, um, you know, how I use each of those notes as, as characters. And, and uh, you know, I, I just actually composed a piece of music called The Storm, um, which right during and after Hurricane Ian, as we were all going through it, I was just kind of transferring all that emotional energy and and fear and trepidation um, into sort of uh, a piece of music. So there's not even really for that one, there's not even a, a piece of art that's connected to it. Mm -hmm. um, but really, it's, it's how through those notes, I paint that picture of not only the storm itself, but the experience of going through the storm and the days leading up to and, uh, you know, down here, people wait till the last minute for everything because they can shift on a dime and, and all of this. But, uh, uh, you know, there's just there's so many different angles to it. Uh, and and I would I would love to explore working with an organization and structuring a program that, that could be incorporated, whether it's at a plenary session or whether it's as part of a social event. Um, I do know down here we have an incredible fine arts center here in Dunedin and actually the Dali Museum is over in Tampa. Um, but I do, I've not met yet, but um, someone is introducing me to the executive director of the fine arts center here. Um, so I have this idea of doing these uh, immersive performance based series, uh, you know, which is really great because when you think about ex uh, 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 museum space, you know, a lot of times a show will come in for six weeks and then it's taking up all of that space and there's so much to do. Uh, but the notion with digital media, you know, I could do a series of nights uh, where maybe one night's devoted to Edward Hopper, one night's devoted to John Singer Sargent. Um, and we have a big projection screen and me sitting there playing the piece of music. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, perhaps also sort of breaking it down by its individual components um, which is really great. And I'll tell you recently, it didn't have anything to do with art scores, but I was, uh, I was doing a, a client project and the client had referenced, um, a, a Ted talks from probably a decade ago, Benjamin Zander. I think he's a, he is a conductor, I think of the Boston Philharmonic. And at, up to that point, you know, and I'm, I'm this big believer that things sort of come at us from the universe, you know, from different directions when we just need a little course shift or a little direction but his ted talks he was sitting there and he actually um and it was something along the way why why it's possible for everyone to love classical music and um sitting at a grand piano steinway um you know he sat there and kind of incorporated into his presentation and he was so absolutely right he played it he was playing a piece from chopin but before the audience listened to it he said i want you to um, picture in your mind, you know, a moment, um, you know, of, of, of where nothing was going right, you know, things seemed dark and all of that. And so he, he sort of primed them for it and then just masterfully played this piece. And I love that. I he love just captivated everyone in the audience. So if you can get people <laughs> into that frequency, and that's what same thing I see about art scores is, you know, in a way, I think sometimes the music is getting overlooked because of the visual aspect of it. So that's why I like the idea of the podcast is because um, so many of the paintings that I feature in art scores, people probably already know. I mean, Starry Nights in there and uh, The Bedroom from Van Gogh and uh, Nighthawks from Edward Hopper and so on and so on. So if you haven't seen the art score and you hear this sort of anatomy of, of the art score and the music and you, you're familiar with the image, to sort of close your eyes and listen to it and, and sort of feel that work come to life. We have a question from the audience. Thank you very much, Carolyn Harris, for asking this question. She wants to know, how can you incorporate stories into the various themes? Stories into the various themes as in? I'm assuming as in like, you know, if you have a... 
the theme of a meeting or a conference. Of a meeting, theme of oh, event. absolutely, absolutely. Mm -hmm. Well, the interesting thing is, is you know, I used to do a lot of marketing for conventions, and uh, that's what we did. We turned the entire conference convention into a story um, that basically, and and you know, storytelling it's not a flat line. You know, everyone talks about the story arc. Uh, and usually it begins with a protagonist that an unexpected event happens. They encounter struggle. Uh, they set themselves on a, a meaningful journey toward overcoming the obstacle and, and enlightenment. So, um, you know, one of the things that I've done for clients in the past, especially using those plenary sessions as major story uh, storyboards uh, where we would produce documentary media uh, especially, you know, we understand what their membership is, what their challenges are, what really motivates them, what is the personality of it, um, to where we then introduce them to uh, uh, peers uh, that shares, like one might be sharing a story of struggle, you know, and then the next one would be, uh, you know, at the next plenary session, a, a story of, so that's funny, because what's, what, what is better than, you know, to relieve tension is a little bit of humor. And then sort of the third act in the plenary session um, was to sort of the inspiration, the energy, and sort of tie the other two together into one um, that really sends people off with a sense of, of engagement. Um, and that's why it's important. Neuroscience has shown that our brains are hardwired for stories because stories are simulated personal experiences. Ultimately, if you're watching a movie, you're walking, you, you're putting yourself in that person's role. It's it, that movie. It's all about us. At the end of the day, stories are about us and, and, and the audience. And that's why we go on the ride because it's a safe way to experience lots of different things and to imagine and relate um, to ourselves in that. And the great thing about cohesiveness and the notion that we know all of our members are all about being part of something bigger than themselves. But when and especially when it comes to struggle and feeling like you're suffering alone, because I think that's that's a commonality across all of whether it's a trade organization, a healthcare organization, you know, it's this notion that no, I'm not crazy, you know, other people struggle or having the same challenges, and suddenly I'm not alone. And that's an amazing thing. And I always used to joke that, you know, at conventions and conferences, the magic happens in the hallways. It's when you connect with those one or two peers or you eavesdrop into that little group conversation and suddenly, oh my gosh, this is worth the price of coming here because I thought it was just me. Yeah. And now I have four or five different strategies how, how I can overcome and engage in these conversations like, wow, someone else is having a problem on something that I've figured out so I can share what I know to them. That's where the powerful educational experiences have. And to me, that's where I think podcasts are the missing link in every association and every association I do podcasts for, they would never cancel it because it in many ways, and I just recently kind of put these pieces together is it's kind of like bringing those hallway conversations mm -hmm. into your digital media channels uh, because yeah. these, you know, the way that we structure them, sorry about that. <laughs> it's conversation. Well, Go ahead. Well, okay. So while you're talking about podcasts, how do you compare podcasting to what we're doing now, which is live streaming? What is your differentiator? Absolutely. Well, it's somewhat similar because it is informal learning. Uh, it's, it's more personalized. Uh, you know, there's always the third person in the room and whether they're neck, you know, on the screen or not, your audience is there. And, uh, yes. you know, we, we always acknowledge that the audience is there. The individual is there. Um, you know, honestly, being a visual artist, but also being a musician, I like podcasts because of the, the work that our imagination does when we're listening. And I think that when we're not processing visual information and uh, audio information at the same time, and we're focusing just on that sense of hearing and the audio, uh, I think that we feel closer to the experience uh you know we, we have headphones on we're listening we you know we're all using these microphones that literally <laughs> makes it sound like i'm standing right next to you and talking into right. your ear right um, so so you know in many ways they're sim very similar in 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 the type of media and experience that they generate and create um but you know on the other side of it is uh you know i i, I tend to like the podcast format uh, but at the same time 
Um, everyone is always interested in seeing, well, who, what does this person look like that I keep listening to episode after episode? So yeah, yeah. absolutely. Well, I we're talking about creativity too. And I, and I love this conversation because I think whether you are in meetings and events or you are in finance or what doesn't matter what industry you're in, I think we all get so streamlined on the noise of the day to day and we don't make time for creativity. And like you just said, creativity is the secret sauce of what really moves businesses forward. So I love the imaginative conversation we're having and the creativity that we're talking about. So for you, if you were to give entrepreneurs some advice or founders some advice or just anybody in business some advice of like, how do you cultivate creativity? How do you cultivate it within yourself? How do you make time for it for yourself? And then how do you cultivate it within teams and really, truly make creativity a part of a business culture? What's your recommendation on that, Stuart? That's a fantastic question. And I think if it's one thing that I've learned, and I wasn't always that good at it, I'm fairly new to meditation uh, and meditation practice, but I finally learned that it's the thought process a lot easier when we're able to quiet our mind and really zero in and focus and, and to quiet the noise in our heads um, to where we can really direct our thoughts to where we want them to go. Um, so, you know, one thing is meditation. The other is walking. I walk now that I'm in Florida. It was like 78 degrees this morning. I walk <laughs> three miles every single morning. And that's not that is work time for me. Uh, because in addition to the mindfulness of going to the water and checking out and seeing what the crazy uh, wildlife is doing, whether there's a shark swimming around or, you know, an <laughs> egret that's trying to swallow a fish that's a lot bigger than their neck, <laughs> which I experienced the other day. Uh, but it's the notion of really clearing your head and thinking through those things. Um, now, if you're not able to get out and walk as much, journals, as a matter of fact, I, this is my uh, this is my art scores journal. Um <laughs> If you could see, I have approximately six journals and written journals, not just typing stuff in, uh, but literally using it as a process to go through and just to sort of free flow your thoughts, just anything that comes to mind. No one's there to judge it, you know, and if it's a problem, write out everything about the problem, you know, you know, what are we missing here? What's going on here? Um, you know, that can really inspire a lot of creativity. Uh, because then you start to connect the dots. The other thing that I would also recommend, there is a um, an app called Blinkist. Uh, I don't know if y'all have heard of it, um, but it kind of takes the old school executive book summaries and turns them into a uh, digital format. So basically, mm -hmm. in, instead of listening to the whole book, you get like a 15 minute summary um, that is audio, but you can also read the summary as you're moving through. Um, and because they're so short, you can just, and there's a huge, the library just grows and grows and grows, um, is Blink is B-L-I-N-K-I-S-T. But the great part about it is, and, and that's how I would spend Saturday mornings is I'd get a cup of coffee and I would, I would take you know, a couple of hours and sit and listen to Blinkist because, you know, when, when, when ideas inspire us, it inspires our own thought. Uh, and the other great thing about Blinkist is if you were to if you were to read 20 books it would probably i don't know some people can read a book every couple of days but but if you you know once you go into a certain subject matter and you listen to all of these book summaries you get the general gist of it you then really start to connect the dots and then you apply it to your own thought process and and from that emerges the opportunity to create solutions uh, or to create a direction forward um, so, you know, kind of the combination of all of those things, and, and especially in this world of noise we live in, really finding lots of techniques and, and practicing quieting our minds to really zero in and focus is, is so very important. Um, but you, definitely. You I'm sorry, you mentioned some books. I mean, you mentioned some books. We love to talk about books here. Are there like a couple books you might recommend that people read that can kind of help? What are your favorite book recommendations or gifts you love to book? Well, and it's funny because I'm not a, I'm not a huge I got reader. your money. I know what you meant. <laughs> I know. I'm a huge reader. Well, first of all, I would recommend Sales Tales by Manny Graziano. Oh, and, and be sure to get your tags in there. Um, there's Amani's so many... got a book too, by the way. Amani's got a book. Yeah. yeah. Mm -hmm. One of the biggest ones, especially with the subject of storytelling. Uh, and, you know, after many years of being a composer, being a filmmaker, being a writer, um, you know, this one really, uh, this will stores, the science of storytelling, 
That's a huge one because this really starts to, it's, it's evidence-based research that ties its way back to why stories have such an impact on us in our lives. And if you look, I mean, I have literally have, uh, you know, highlighted page by page. I mean, this one, I didn't just read this book. I literally studied every word, every page, um, you know, and we live in a world uh, that we love scientific research that backs up what's happening. And, you know, when you think about movies and you think about music, you think about binging a great Netflix series, it's ultimately storytelling that, that, that lures us right in. And unfortunately, sorry, associations, typically we do a pretty bad job at storytelling because it's all about just pushing information, just pushing information, pushing information um, and disacknowledging the audience, uh, you know, and, and uh, you know, it's, it's, you know, not everyone's an expert and, you know, we, we keep pushing experts towards them. And sometimes it just creates more of a divide that, you know, I'll never be at that level, you know? So I, I think you make yeah. a good point about that storytelling about like, you know, as a business or as an individual, like mm -hmm. it's the story, it's that individual story that lures you. It's the individual story of that business. It's the story of the product. Mm -hmm. So if you were to advise you know, people out there to just tell better stories? Like what components are we missing right now? What components do we need to tell better stories, either about ourselves as a brand or as our companies or our associations? Like what's out there? What's missing? Well, I think the big thing that's missing is being willing to, to acknowledge what is the most powerful connector there is. And that's to admit our struggles, to admit mm -hmm. that we don't have all the answers, mm -hmm. to admit that we have made mistakes uh, because truthfully, in a story, as soon as that protagonist struggles, they reel us right in because we're the one struggling. We're the reader. We're, we're taking the trip with the protagonist. And, you know, this notion that we have everything in the world that's all figured out and, and we have all of these educational programs and conferences and learning management systems that continually brings people to the, the front of the room to say, this is truth. Well, it may or may not be actual truth. Um, and that the beauty of podcasts, and we always have, in the, I do a podcast for a surgical society and a, and a nursing uh, academy and uh, medical surgical nurses. And it's the notion they, their board has given us a luxury of freedom um, to share their own thoughts and opinions. And it's amazing what happens when that happens, because it gives this free flow of, of, of different opinions. And, you know, in Storr's book, one of the one of the important things, and I think this is great for society, is it's the notion of theory of control. We all have our own theory of control. And, and that can be translated to it's our own narrative on how we see the world. And on some levels, our narrative is right. And but in many ways, our narrative is wrong. But we're so entrenched in that narrative that we really don't open our minds up to realizing, you know, that's our theory of control. That's not truth in the world. And I think that if the entire world would embrace that, I think that we would probably about be a lot more open-minded towards each other. Um, mm -hmm. But, you know, that's something it's like, and, and that's the sacred flaw. The sacred flaw really is that theory of control. And every protagonist has a sacred flaw that is typically rooted in that theory of control. So I think that, you know, if you think about, you know, outside of, uh, associations, if you're doing strategic planning, are you identifying your sacred flaws? What, mm -hmm. what is your organization's theory of control? Um, does it even exist as you believe that it does? Um, does your membership believe that it actually exists? You know, just because you say so doesn't make it fact. And um, getting your members to, to call you on it is not an easy thing to do. I've done tons of focus groups over the years mm -hmm. for association clients, but um you know, it's about getting real, getting honest and, and just being human about our approach to everything um, and yeah. humanizing our brands, humanizing our associations, humanizing, you know, let people, you know, and that's where I would say the visual is great. Amani is, is that let people see who's behind, you know, the, the curtain at, at the wonderful world of Oz, uh, <laughs> yes. because that's how associations feel. It's like, it's not a relationship. It's like this institution coming at you and you can't really see human faces. I mean, there's words here and this and that, but it's like, how can you turn that inside out and, right. and begin with the people on the front line and then work your way towards all the great stuff that you do for your members? 
Now we have a question from the chat. Jenny Fuss, hello. Thank you for joining us, by the way. Hi, she Jenny. Asks, Hi, Jenny. How to ignite inspiration in teams? How do we ignite inspiration in teams? What's your answer to that? We, you give each member of the team an opportunity to take ownership, uh, an opportunity to be who, the, who they are. Uh, the opportunity and space to contribute and invest their thoughts and ideas and energies into something that is being considered. And, and I would say it, it's as old as the dawn of time. It's understanding that if you're sitting at a boardroom table or if you're sitting at a, a team building session, there's, there's people who will never talk. And that doesn't mean they don't have a ton of ideas. So it's how you channel that out with your team, understanding introverts, understanding extroverts, I mean, Susan Cain's Quiet, uh, yes. The Secret Power of Introverts in a World That Can't Stop Talking is a great book to read right. if you're an introvert, but even more so if you're an extrovert leader uh, mm -hmm. in understanding that. But having a process to where you can give everyone the opportunity to, to, to channel their own uh, contribution into what's happening and, and hopefully finding ways that, you know, that can, you know, go on to become something uh, 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 something tangible, uh, within go. that, because that, that's, that's where, that's where team members become extinct. It's like, no one cares how, I, what I think, um, you know, if someone goes out on a limb, uh, you know, it's the opportunity that we have to just, you know, I, I think blow up the hierarchy uh, of the way we manage associations, because it, it's not, mm -hmm. it, it's not in with the times of our ability to communicate and participate. Um, you know, uh, virtual work collaboration is, I think, one of the greatest, uh, you know, additions to everything that's going on because, you know, previously not everyone was allowed to have an opinion because there just wasn't the time and the space to, to bring everyone together. But now on so many different levels, if you get creative at using the tools that are available to us, everyone gets an opportunity to participate. And, you know, those introverts would probably more more likely participate you know in in sort of a text-based contribution than necessarily sitting on a zoom or sitting across the table but uh, understanding those different styles and and making sure everyone gets the opportunity to to make a contribution and put their uh, put their fingerprint on uh the, the way forward um that's that's really i think how you inspire teams love it so now we're to the section of the interview discussion where we've flipped the table, we flip the script and you ask us question, a question. You ask Mandy a question and you can ask me a question. So who do you want to ask the question first? And what is that question? Then we'll, we will answer the question and go on to the next person. It's kind of like our culminating activity of the interview. So who do you want to ask a question to? First? Absolutely. Amani, what brought you out to Los Angeles? Cause I think I heard you had mentioned you're from somewhere kind of Further in this direction, what brought you out to uh, LA? And uh, tell me about how you got into DJing and, and your uh, your interest in music. Yes, I uh, came out to LA from DC. I grew up in the DC area. I worked, grew up in hotel world, so I worked for Marriott hotels in DC, Atlanta, Chicago, Dallas, Miami, back to DC. Then they moved me out to LA. So by working through hotels is how I got moved out to LA to be director of marketing at the Renaissance Montura, LAX Renaissance, and then how I got into DJing is that I, when I was in college a little while ago, I saw DJ Bismarcky and he was in the club and he was amazing. He set the crowd off. I will never forget how I felt that night. And I said, I want to do what he was doing, but I was incorrect in my assumption that DJing was a legitimate career. It, every city I lived in, I go watch the DJs and just kind of get involved in the culture a little bit. But once I got to LA, I had the courage to actually to go learn how to DJ. I went to Scratch Academy. I quickly realized that DJing is definitely a legitimate career, um, especially with my corporate connection and my experience working for Marriott with the customer service. And so I just kind of retired from Marriott a little over 10, 11 years ago, went for it full time. Of course, you have to fill in things on the side, like muscle professor. But um, that's kind of how, where I came from. And that's how I got into DJing. And that's what brought me out to LA. That is so cool. That's so cool. And, and, and and that story. And that's, that's a great storytelling point. You talked about seeing Bismarck. I mean, I was right there with you when you were telling me that story, you brought me, you bought me right in and, and I, I can totally relate to that moment. Yeah. What I love though about Amani's DJ story though, is your book. Tell him about yes. your book. His yes. book tells the, I think it's a great, it's a, it's a finite period of time. It tells a great story about nice. being a DJ. 
All right, I got to get it. Yeah, so DJs mean business. It takes you through the time slots of a DJ set from like 10 p.m. to 2 a.m. Each 15 minutes is related to like some aspect of you growing a business. For example, it could be 10 p.m. We're just getting started. So I'm just getting to know the people in the club, trying to keep them there. In business, you're trying to identify your ideal client. How do you grow from there? Troubleshooting chapter. Something always goes wrong in the DJ booth. Could be a speaker, needles, computer. Uh, records, whatever. Same thing in business. How do you kind of adjust, but you can never, the music can never stop, which means you can never really close down your business. Then prime time, midnight, keep the dance floor packed, people singing along. It's um, in business when you're kind of going from, you know, just year over year sales are growing, growing, growing. Um, then we get to the night is over. Back in the day, I would ride for Uber. So after the club, I would you know, turn on an Uber meter, take people home that were in the club with me. They give me feedback. Then I'd reveal that I was the DJ. So oh, that's brilliant. Few, that's absolutely brilliant. How do you get that feedback in? <laughs> there's others too, but that's that's the I book right it. there. I love it. Um, it's been out now since April of 2020. And yeah, yeah, that's that's the story right there. <laughs> that is so great. That is so cool. I'm going to have to check that book out. Yes. Okay, Mandy, Mandy. I, I joke with Mandy because I, I met Mandy. Uh, we worked with her when I was the CEO of that national association. Uh, and uh, we used her to help save our lives uh, on multiple occasions. <laughs> but I do remember back then, and now like, this is going on, you know, four, five, six years ago. You're like, you know, because I always ask people, what's your passion? What would you be doing if, if money were no object? Because, uh, you know, to me, I think if you're not on some level trying to do some of that or, you know, you need to find a way. And I try to inspire people to do that. Well, you talked about, well, I've been wanting to write a book. I've had this book idea forever and, and I'm like, well, what's standing in the way? And it's like, oh, well, this and like, I'm like, I'm like, I'm going to hold you accountable. You need to write this book. So every it's funny when we would meet every time I say, how's the book coming? What's the latest on the book? And lo and behold, I can't claim full responsibility for sales tales, but but <laughs> it's the notion of uh, sales tales a year ago was released which is a fantastic book. And, and I'm envious because I, I want to be a salesperson in a next life because I'm horrible at sales. Uh, but my question for you, Mandy, is because I think anyone who has a big goal, and that's a big goal. It takes a lot to write a book, not not only to write a book, but to get it published and to go out and you know do the uh, the book tour circuit and all that. But what got you off the fence to be able to get to the point where you were kind of procrastinating and leaving it to the side and actually what was the process you went through to actually get it done? Ooh. Um, well, first things first, Stuart, you are a salesperson, whether you like it or not. If you run a business, you're selling it. You're a salesperson. If you're a parent, you're selling something. If you're a spouse, you're selling, you know, that you want a certain kind of countertop. We're all <laughs> selling something all the time. Um, so that's just, just that. No, next life, this life, you are a salesperson. Um, you know, the, I think the story that really got me going was I was at spin class and I think this was like 2000, I don't even know, 17 or something. And you know, the, the, this, the, the, the person, you know, the instructor's yelling at you and they're motivating you yelling, however you want to call it. And I remember this moment where she was yelling, motivating me and I started crying and I didn't know why I was crying. It was just like, was I, was I happy? Was I sad? Why was I crying? And then this voice came in my head and it was like, write the book, write the book. And, you know, I got out of that dark room and I was sweaty and the endorphins are rolling and you're just happy. And normally, you know, some of those motivational thoughts, they subside. Well, that voice stuck with me the whole ride home. Then the week later, and then the week later, and it just kept getting louder and louder and louder to the point where I felt suffocated. And it felt like if I didn't write the book, something bad was going to happen because it, it was something that was within me that wanted to come out like a monster, whatever you want to call it. But I, I, I distinctly remember that spin class. And I, I go to spin like three or four times a week, not now because um, I'm sick, but like, you know, normally I love a spin class. But I have never been uh, impacted as much as the, I was that one class. And then I think I really listened to that voice. You know, that voice was loud enough that I thought, well, I have to take action on this. And then that's a whole other level of like, okay, you hear the voice. You have to take action on it. From, from a practical standpoint, it wasn't practical for my business to take action on writing a book in that moment. But I found a way, you know, I scheduled pockets of time. 
I hired a writing coach. I talked to my business coach. She's like, you don't have time to write a book. I'm like, we're going to figure this out. And I found a way. I found a way to write a book. And then I found a way to market a book. And, and you know, you always find a way to do something you really, really want. You find a way and you make space for it if it matters to you. So, you know, long, long answer to a short question, but it started with a spin class. That's great. That's great. And, you know, isn't it great that we live in a time where you, if, if you really want to, you can figure just about anything out because of technology. And, and I think it's funny, my, my, or actually my oldest son loves to call both my wife and I boomers, which we're not even close to being boomers, but they think that's really, <laughs> his generation thinks that's really funny that if, if you're not them, you're boomers, but yeah, it's the notion that how, yeah, how cool is it? Yeah. How cool is it that we were able to grow up in a, in a day and probably I'm, I probably have a few more gray hairs. I'm starting to get some gray hair up here, but, uh, but it's the notion to have lived without it and to have lived with it. I mean, it's like no other generation will know that. And, yeah. and I think it's such an amazing thing. You know, call me a, a di digital immigrant, whatever you want to call it. Uh, you know, I've embraced technology all of my life. Uh, but it's the notion that, you know, to live in a time where if you really needed to find information, it wasn't an easy thing to do, especially if you didn't live in a big city. You know, mm -hmm. you went to your public library, which was very limited, or you could write a letter to somebody to send you information. And now, poof, you know, anything you want to know, it's to Google search away. Information yeah. access. So, yeah. So do it. The best way for people to keep in touch with it is your YouTube and Facebook. We have that scrolling there. Yeah, um, I would also. And I'm glad you mentioned it because I forgot to. But uh, I have three art scores albums. Um, that's available for streaming or uh, downloading uh, or for purchase uh, on sure. iTunes, Spotify, Amazon, all the major platforms. Probably the best thing is look up, uh, go to any of those platforms, look up Stuart Meyer artist uh, or look at art scores soundtrack. Um, and it is the music from uh, the first. No, actually not all 92 art scores, but uh, I got another. I'm trying to put an album out a year and it's funny. It's, the, the issue isn't having the music. It's how do you organize the music into something that creates a co cohesive lifting experience. And Mandy, you, mm -hmm. you shared your story about uh, listening to the light album and, and that uh, is, is, it is, is help makes me feel good because I spent a lot of time figuring out how to sequence all those pieces of music together. But um, this year uh, I think I'm going to put the scenes of life music out uh, as this year's album um, out there. So yes, uh, art scores by Stuart Meyer, Facebook. Uh, I'm on LinkedIn. Uh, I have a art scores gallery, just search for art scores on YouTube, which is where you can find all of the current art scores uh, that are available. And uh, socialfrequency.us is my website. Uh, and, and any of those platforms, if you want to reach out to me, just message me or, or whatnot. I would love to connect with you. Well, amazing. So it's been great talking to you. I think we have our applause that will tear us out here, I want to say. Hey, yes. yes. Sure. Thanks so much for taking the time. Yeah, you're so awesome. So We'll put you back in the room. Just thank you very much for talking with us. Um, talk to us about creativity and everything like that. So it's been a pleasure. And I will make sure that we keep in touch and our audience keeps in touch with you also. Definitely. And Amani, I loved hearing your story. That's so awesome. You ins you've inspired me today. <laughs> awesome. Well, thank you. I'm, I'm honored. So I appreciate that. Um, all right. So we'll flip back to Manny and I. Thanks again, Stuart. And we'll see you soon. All right. Thank you so much. Thanks, Stuart. Thank you for tuning in to Adventures in Business. Don't forget to rate and review our podcast on the platform that you're currently listening it on. And don't forget to share it with your friends and anybody that might be as much of the business nerds as Amani and I are. See you next time for another captivating interview.